Hello and welcome back to A Cozy Christmas Podcast. My name is Art and I want to wish you a happy Easter. Today we will be looking both at Christmas and Easter a little bit. I'll be talking with author Vicki Delaney who wrote the wonderful Rest Ye Murdered Gentlemen. No, 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 it's not that kind of a book. It's a very, it's a cozy mystery and I think you'll enjoy it. In celebration of Easter, I will be reading some more from The Life of Our Lord by Charles Dickens. The story today, we will be covering the account of his arrest and crucifixion, since I expect this episode will drop on or around Good Friday. And then hopefully within the next couple of days, I'll get out the Easter episode. That might be running a little bit late. I have had a crazy schedule this past month. Let's get started and deck those halls with a listener memory. Today's listener memory comes from Mary Lou, and she reached out to me on Facebook and sent me a wonderful message, and she has this to share with us. She said, This Christmas was tough as my mom passed away in June, and she always made Christmas so special for our whole family. Also, I ended up with COVID in November and wasn't able to taste the delicious Christmas foods that are my favorite. So your podcast was definitely a bright spot for Christmas 2020. One of our family's favorite traditions is trying new food from either a different region of our country, USA, or from a different country. This year, my son, Charlie, chose chocolates from the UK, and though I couldn't taste them, I have on very good authority that they were fabulous. Thank you again so much for sharing your love of Christmas with all of us. I look forward to many more wonderful podcasts. God bless us, everyone, as Tiny Tim would say. So thank you, Mary Lou, for just reaching out with this with this memory. Sorry to hear that your your mother passed away. I've had some family members pass who have always made Christmas very special. And I've, I've shared on here before about my grandma. And she used to send Christmas fudge. It was so delicious and, and just perfect. And in spite of trying her recipe, nobody can see, seems to get it just right. You know, there's something about her fudge that was perfection. So your memory got me thinking about some of my favorite snacks and, and food at Christmas time. And I'm sorry you couldn't enjoy all those foods. Hopefully now your taste buds have come back and are in working order. And so I think this gives you the right to have Christmas dinner or Christmas snacks any time of the year. And so I've been thinking about my favorite Christmas snacks. One is Chex Mix, which doesn't sound very Christmassy, but... We tend to have it more at Christmas time than any other time of the year, and for whatever reason, it's starting to taste like Christmas to me. This year, I really craved gingerbread cookies, and so I made a bunch of those, and they were so, so good. And then my, my wife makes something called Linzerschnitten, which I can't even tell you what it is or how it's made, but it's like a little pastry thing that's rolled up, and there's some goodies in the inside there it's like a nut cream cheese kind of filling i don't know the secret to it i don't even know how to spell it but you know and if you know what linzer schnitten is or how to make it uh, let me know if you enjoy those cookies i guess 
basically my favorite cookies are the ones that will pair nicely with, uh, with a good cup of coffee. Now, another thing I've mentioned before on the podcast is what my wife and I do on Christmas Eve. We have, after the kids go to bed and we're all waiting for Santa to come, um, she and I will sit down and have a nice fondue dinner. And we use hot oil and she'll cut up little pieces of, of steak and chicken along with some cheese and, and dough to make little dough balls and or bread balls and things like that. And sometimes we'll go really crazy and have shrimp. It's one of my favorite traditions now. We started it when we got married because her parents had that tradition as well and they passed that on to us. We sit down, we relax, we rest, and we just take a moment to enjoy the quiet of the season one last time. But we do have to keep an eye on the time because we don't want to be surprised by Santa. I'm in my 40s now and I sometimes it's hard to stay up late. (laughs) But there was one year we couldn't do it on Christmas Eve uh, because I had we had caught the flu. That was really awful to have the flu on Christmas Eve and couldn't keep anything down. And so fondue was certainly off the table. And I remember I had had a, just a splitting migraine, spent most of the day in bed, and I felt terrible, not just because I had the flu, but all of our Christmas traditions were had to be put on hold. We just had the two boys at the time, and they were pretty little. Uh, I know they were probably a little upset about Christmas morning, but then on Christmas Day, a little bit later in the afternoon, I, I started to feel a lot better. And so then, I, if I remember right, then we went ahead and opened up presents. But then we waited until New Year's Eve to have our fondue. And, you know, and that was good. I'm, I was glad we were able to have it, but it just didn't feel right. You know, the best thing to do is just to go with it and, and try to have the best time that you can. Mary Lou, thank you for writing in with your uh, Christmas memory. And if you want to be awesome like Mary Lou, please send me uh, your Christmas memory to Cozy Christmas Podcast at gmail.com and I'll feature it on the show in an upcoming episode. I would love to hear from you. All right, let's break out the parkas and the mittens and head north to Ontario, Canada, which now that I look at the weather report, it's not actually that cold right now. Oh, well, Uh, we are everything I know about Canada. I know from watching TV and so it's cold and there's mountains everywhere. That's what I know about Canada. (laughs) I also know that there's some great podcasters and podcast listeners that come from Canada, as well as a couple of excellent authors that I have enjoyed reading their works. So we're going to pay a visit to the wonderful, talented, and prolific author, Vicki Delaney. For this month on our Cozy Christmas uh, Book Club recommendation, I am interviewing author Vicki Delaney. And she is a talented and prolific best-selling Canadian author of mysteries and thrillers. She has what looks like to me everything from cozy to, to creepy uh, books that you might enjoy. And I want to talk to her today about her, uh, her year-round Christmas mystery series. And as I mentioned in my last podcast, I read the first one, uh, Resty Married, or yeah, Resty Murdered Gentleman, and I loved it. So I am going to be reading through her series here soon. So Vicki, welcome uh, to the Cozy Christmas Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Art. It's lovely to be here. 
uh, I enjoyed your book. That's the only one I've read of yours so far. So from the looks of it, I I have a lot to 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 get through. You've been quite prolific. <laughs> It'll last you up until Christmas. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd say about one every couple months. That'll get me right up to Christmas time. So. Right. Right. <laughs> so why don't you just go ahead and talk a little bit about yourself and how did you become a mystery writer? Okay. Thank you very much for asking. Um, actually, I'm the author now of 40. I have over 40 published books. Um, I started out, I was writing, as you said, I've written a lot of different things, but I started out writing uh, standalone psychological suspense. And I wrote a police procedural series set in British Columbia. I wrote a slightly humorous series set in the, during the Klondike Gold Rush in the Yukon. And I've even written um, novellas for adult literacy. But the, my focus has changed now and I'm writing, strictly writing cozy mysteries for about the last, I guess, seven, six, seven years, I've been writing just cozy mysteries. So I have uh, four cozy mystery series out now, um, three of them under my own name of Vicki Delaney and one under my pen name of Eva Gates. And I find that I'm writing the cozies now because I'm really enjoying it. I've had, you know, I did sort of my time writing the dark and tragic stuff and now the cozy stuff is, is you know just intended to be fun and as we'll talk about the series i hope that the listener realizes that the only thing i expect them to take away from a good cozy mystery is just having a lot of fun i mean you can tell the title of the latest you know year-round christmas book is dying in a winter wonderland and the first is rusty murdered gentlemen so they're not to be taken seriously and they're light and they're funny and uh so that's um, what i'm writing now and i'm i'm liking it a lot i think i i put in my time with the dark and gritty stuff and now i'm liking the lighter stuff i have to admit uh your titles is what sold me <laughs> <laughs> i i love a good pun and uh, the titles of your your mysteries are are just perfect let's get us let's see what was another one like we wish you a murdered christmas was another title in that series you know, if, yep, if there's a uh, Christmas carol out there, particularly if it has the word Mary in it, I can do something with that. That's yep. right. So what are, what are they? And there's also we uh, wish you a murderous Christmas, silent night, deadly night, heart that, the herald angels slay, and the latest is dying in a winter wonderland. Like you said, these are cozy. So the title might seem kind of maybe more violent than than the book will be, <laughs> but for for those of us who uh, who like to read cozy mysteries, that's that's kind of expected. So <laughs> we know what we're getting into. Good, good. And the so, cover, don't you find the cover gives it away too? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the covers are intended. You can tell they're brightly colored. Uh, there's a cute little animal on it somewhere. Um, you know, a cartoony almost kind of an aspect to some of them. And I, so I think the, the covers are also supposed to give you a hint of what sort of book lies within. Yeah, I, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I tend to do that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it, it, the, the cover itself is, they're just really great artwork and uh, we're, I'm sold on the title and the artwork and we're, <laughs> and it's right. a good story. It delivers. It definitely delivers. Uh, so what inspired you to write a, a, a year round Christmas series? It's almost hard to remember how I actually got the idea. Um, I think that um, my first, um, my first cozy series is the Lighthouse Library series. Uh, it was published under the pen name of Eva Gates. So after that got started, um, you know, I, I, was I like doing that, so I thought I'd like to try my hand at another series. My agent and I talked about it, and she suggested a Christmas store. 
And I said, well, let's, why don't we take it a little step further and we could have a whole Christmas town. Uh, so once I had that, and then, you know, I created the town of Rudolph, New York, that wants to be known as your year round Christmas destination, or as it calls itself, America's Christmas town, and the main streets called Jingle Bell Lane, and the main character owns Mrs. Claus's treasures, and, you know, there's the candy cane sweet shop, and there's mm -hmm. the Yuletide Inn, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and Christmas sort of lends itself, I think, to over the topness sometimes. Uh, you know, the whole town dedicated to nothing but Christmas. At the heart, it was kind of a, a serious sort of idea. The idea, the concept is that this town um, is, you know, located on uh, Lake Ontario. And at one time, it was a really bustling port. And now it's you know, post-industrial decaying town. So the townsfolk uh, came up with the idea of taking advantage of the name of Rudolph and trying to make a Christmas destination out of it, which has been hugely successful for the town. So there's a nice little bit of optimism um, in that. And, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, if, if there's any threat to the Christmas spirit, of course, would threaten the entire town. So our character has to be there to make sure that, you know, the reputation of the town remains intact as a friendly, family friendly sort of place. I, I live in a small town and I've, I found a lot of authenticity there in what you're we're writing our town is i mean it, it it sells antiques and and it's a tiny tiny town but there's like 20 antique stores and you know if they went out of business our town would be sunk you know if we have a annual antique festival every year and all those things that just keep things going and everything we do in town kind of surrounds that idea of antiques or old-fashioned uh, thing so I what's I've the got, name of the town uh, Walnut and I live in Iowa there you We're, go I have an idea for a new series okay <laughs> <laughs> well I, I yeah I've often thought that I mean here in town everyone knows everyone's secrets and you know they know where the bodies are buried as it were <laughs> so uh, yeah I um I live in a quite a small town too actually I live outside a small town I don't even live in town mm. and i have uh, several friends who own these sort of small little shops uh main street kind of a strip shop you know where the shop owners the person who works there you know seven days mm -hmm. a week um you know and and my friends that own shops say they really like the sort of reading about the small town shop owner as well that seems to be a common theme in some of the cozies i've read it's i don't know it's a whole different dynamic than the big city and yeah 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 definitely <laughs> Your, the, the setting of your mystery series, Rudolph, New York, sounds like a place I, a lot of uh, a lot of us Christmas podcasters might like to, to move to someday. But you're, you're telling me it's not a real town then, huh? <laughs> sadly, sadly, no. But if you find it, I'll go there too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you a, a huge fan of Christmas or... I mean, are we talking year-round celebrating or? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a middling fan of Christmas, uh, okay. meaning that I enjoy I enjoy Christmas when it comes. You know, I put up my lights, I put up my tree, I put up my you know, I get my decorations out of the basement and all that sort of stuff. I don't even have a basement uh, out of the garage. Um, but no, and then it all comes down before the sixth of January, and I put it away. Mm -hmm. So I'm a Christmas person at Christmas time, but not the rest of the year. There's a lot of Christmas spirit in your book, so I, I had to ask. Uh, that that's well, that's okay. You're one of those normal people, then, huh? <laughs> so uh, you said your your agent had, uh, gave you that idea to set it in a Christmas store. Have you had a chance to visit different year-round Christmas stores? 
in in your research? Did you? Yeah, I have. I have actually, um, because there's a surprising number of them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there are. Um, and you know, um, one of the you know the little stores in town here that sells you know trinkets has a whole room that's just for Christmas, and um, yeah. People like that sort of thing, so you know the idea grew from there. And, and as I said, the, you know, as the title of the book, of the series is the year-round Christmas mysteries. In Hark the Herald Angels Slay, it's July, and Santa Claus comes to town, you know, for his annual vacation at the lake. And there's a boat parade featuring Santa Claus and and that sort of stuff. And one of the books is set at Thanksgiving, and um, so I do try to give it the whole year-round kind of thing, which you know, in, in in real life, if a town was dependent on Christmas tourism why not try and get people coming all year particularly at christmas time when they can see santa lying on the beach with his hat with the pom-pom and in his red bathing suit <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah that's uh that was one thing i wanted to make sure to point out is that uh, the books are, are set at different times of the year so uh for those who i know who love to acknowledge or celebrate christmas year round uh, i think that's going to be very appealing to them to find Hey, here's a town that I can identify with uh, that's not afraid to talk about Christmas in March or something, you know? <laughs> right. So yeah, uh, the main character of the series is named Mary Wilkinson, uh, which is a perfect name for a Christmas protagonist. <laughs> M-E-R-R-Y, yes. How did you come up with this character? Because because she is like trying to, you know, exhibit that, that, Christmas spirit and keep the town spirit up, but then she gets tangled up in this murder mystery. And from the looks of it, several more down the road for her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a balancing act she has to, to maintain. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things like you talked earlier about how cozy series, you know, so many of them seem to own a shop or they, a bakery or something like that. Um, the thing is that in, in, in any kind of an amateur sleuth book, if the character has a job working as a bank teller, you know, she can't just, you know, run out the door because I have a murder to investigate, which is why a lot of them tend to, you know, own their own business and has been pointed out to me uh, that you wouldn't survive very long in business if you kept running out the door to solve murders, but well, okay, you know, it is yeah. fiction. Um, yeah, so I wanted right from the beginning of her to have something Christmassy involved and, uh, you know, uh, so the store is the natural sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and her background is that she um, um, she's actually a designer, a style designer. She worked at a major lifestyle magazine in, in Manhattan for many years. And she when she left that and as a, as a, pardon me, as a set designer. So when she left that, it was natural for her to, uh, you know, to use her sort of her taste and her contacts and open up that sort of a store. Um, for me personally, it was important that I mentioned in the book, even though of course it's fiction, that she tries to source as much as she can locally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is what small towns are doing these days to keep their, uh, you know, to keep business flowing into the town and that. So she does that, which leads fairly naturally to her love interest is the town toy maker. And um, and her love of Christmas comes pretty natural because her father's name is Noel. No, and uh, he's the town Santa Claus. He looks like Santa Claus. He's got a beard. He's got the long hair and the sparkly blue eyes. And and he plays the town Santa Claus every year and the twice a year in the Christmas the Santa Claus parade. Uh, so Christmas is you know sort of a big thing in their family and 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 they it is a big thing in their family. But they still really like the Christmas spirit. And I try and kind of emphasize that in the book that the books that are set at Christmas time. She mentions how, even though they've been Christmas 
364 days a year already when the day actually comes they really enjoy it so yeah that's important that they're not jaded by it yeah we were uh we were on vacation once in south dakota and we found a a year-round christmas store and well i had to go in you know it, it was like yeah. september <laughs> uh, but oh, yeah. yeah yeah and the ladies there are a couple ladies who work there and at least one of them i remember she was dressed up in you know a Christmassy outfit and she looked like mrs claus uh and and i was just talking with her and asked you know does it get old having christmas around you year round and and she said it didn't for her she she said she found it always very exciting and and good. thrilling good. yeah yeah that's good to know yeah it, it, that would you know as much as i i do love christmas and i i joke about celebrating it all the time but it is good to put it away to have it to bring out again um although i did start a year-round christmas podcast so we'll we'll see well Well, like i told you before i was it was uh during our quarantine and i was bored so i thought i'd start it and (laughs) it it was fun It, it, it last year especially it brought a lot of joy to a pretty dark year so that was that was enjoyable so mary uh is our main character she has a a love interest who's a toy maker which again just seems perfect for christmas based mystery series yeah you know usually you got your main character who somehow falls in love with the uh, police officer or (laughs) investigator yours this one takes a little different turn with that than i mean your book your book is just brimming with creativity and whenever (laughs) i thought I would see this happen, something else different happened. And um, oh, that's great. But in the in the first book, uh the, the murder occurs. Uh it kind of broke my heart a little bit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you used a Charles Dickens cookie to <laughs> to, to yeah, off right. the bad or off the, the murdered person. <laughs> yeah. Uh that cookie sounded, it looked in my imagination, looked delicious. <laughs> yeah, well, don't eat it. <laughs> don't eat it. There was poison in it. <laughs> yeah spoiling a little bit here for the books to come is, is are those the things that are kind of repeated in uh in the series just kind of christmas themed murders in that sense or not, no not really um it, it can be a little bit of a challenge in any cozy series to try and you know basically bump someone off using a different you know every i now have you know i write three or four books a year and i'm trying to make them different between them all to try and find you know different ways of, of murder that aren't too gross because you know you want something sort of quiet and neat poison's just great for that i i've learned all kinds of things about poison uh and no the actual killing well i'm trying trying to think there yeah okay in one book somebody's strangled with a the cranberry you know wooden cranberry beads that you wrap around your tree somebody mm-hmm. strangled with that in one of the books and uh and then but then there's other you know other stuff too like hit over the head and yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, try, we try and you know mix it up a little bit yeah. i i'm i'm just i'm just trying to imagine what your uh your search history might look like <laughs> how do you kill someone yeah. with <laughs> interesting the one the only time i was ever actually worried is when i did uh it's on one of my police detective novels and i wanted to have a car bomb mm. and i had to look up research how to build a car bomb and i actually was a little nervous about um they come and knock on my door i mean so what but you still yeah. don't want that you know on your on your but you know writers do it all the time so yeah, yeah. 
Well, if somebody comes knocking, then you know, <laughs> just a minute, let me go. <laughs> let me go get my books to show you. Yes, I have evidence here. See, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I've got to ask, uh, do you do you get a lot of therapy in writing about killing people? <laughs> like <laughs> Good question. Good question. You don't uh, have to answer that one. <laughs> No, but not, you know, to, to change the topic just a tiny bit um, that I have found over the past year, not just me, lots of my writer friends are saying the same thing, that uh, people are really re reading a lot of cozies um, mm -hmm. and we're getting a lot of letters. I'm getting a lot of letters as well saying that that people are enjoying reading these books over the past year because things have been stressful and they have been difficult. Maybe they've been confined at home or worried about this, that and everything else. Every time you turn on the news, there's, you know, something that's certainly over the last year bad has been happening um that people are finding these books are a real escape um something that can really get lost into without worrying about the the state of the world yeah i, I mean i've noticed that too i mean i i like mysteries and I'll, I'll read them and it seems the more stressed i get is when i turn to reading a mystery whether it's a cozy or not i think it's part of it is the figuring out a puzzle kind of satisfies my brain yeah, yeah you know it's yeah. Uh, but I noticed this last year, my mystery reading has just kind of skyrocketed. So, okay. <laughs> good, good yep. uh, but yeah, it, it's, there is something, uh, you know, escapist in it. it it's, yeah. it's relaxing. Yes. The stakes are, are low. Usually what, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, we're not the, trying to save no, the, yeah, that's what you're going to say. What I was just going to say, the stakes yeah. are, are, you wouldn't say they're low, but they're personal, right? Yeah, there's not there a, no terrorists, there's no international mob, you know, right. no hired assassins or anything. It's a personal one-to-one. -one. There's a reason why this person was killed by this person and the friend, the shopkeeper, the whatever using their, basically their knowledge of human nature or their, you know, knowledge of the gossip in the town and observing things is able to solve it. You know, like you said to that person, that this is, this is my life, you know, this is what I got to deal with this. And this isn't, this is huge, but yeah. uh, I don't know, yeah. for me, it's comforting to read that and see the puzzle get figured out. And well, and, and in this, your serious case here, just living in Rudolph, New York sounds lovely. Just, you know, make sure you don't make enemies with the wrong person. Yeah, that's right. Don't <laughs> those gingerbread cookies. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just to, to transfer a little over to, to Christmas here for a moment, do you have a favorite uh, Christmas tradition or a, a favorite Christmas memory that uh, you'd like to share with us? No, I don't know about Christmas memories. My children are all adults mm -hmm. um, and my only grandchild lives far enough away that I, that they don't travel in they live in the mountains so they don't travel in the winter um which is sensible because it's hard to get out yeah. and play didn't know uh you know my children are all adults um so and you know that we're, we're far apart as most of us are but we still do try to get together as much as we can every year with my brother and his family my mother's still alive fortunately and you know we always have christmas with my mother and whichever of my children are around um they come uh, so yeah, it matters to us a lot. Um, I'm one of those families where I have to cook exactly the same Christmas dinner every year that I cooked every other year that my mother made before her. Uh, you know, um, we have turkey and um, Canadians are much more likely to have turkey at Christmas than Americans are because our Thanksgiving is so much earlier than yours that we're ready for another round of turkey by the 25th of December. <laughs> you know, so we always have like turkey and all the trimmings and all that. 
and the tray and I bring out, you know, this, the, I have ornaments that were my grandmother's that I, you know, that I still hang on the tree every year and all that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that we love to do when we can is watch a Muppets Christmas Carol. That's our favorite Christmas movie. And it's something that we, you know, one of those things where you shout out the lines yes. and say them. And, um, you know, even my adult children, just we love that movie yes <laughs> that's, our, that's our christmas go-to movie uh yeah that's one of my favorites too uh, and yeah. and uh I, see in december i was able to interview uh gerald dickens who is charles dickens's oh. like great great grandson <laughs> yeah and he does um like one man sh- versions of a christmas carol uh, and he said that that's one of his favorite versions of a Christmas Carol. So, oh, I love it. yeah. Have you seen the movie The Man Who Invented Christmas? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About Charles Dickens. Yep, yeah. yep. I I enjoyed that that movie. Yeah. That was, yeah. Well, Dickens is probably. I mean, he's my all time favorite writer. So then, so combined with that and my love of Christmas, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. I I just have a problem. I don't know. <laughs> 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 wild addiction of, of the, here but but yeah that was i enjoyed i enjoyed that movie there's there's a, a non-fiction book that that movie was kind of inspired by i guess that i think is worth worth to read too it looks a little more into the historical uh setting and things but it, yeah. it's it's yeah and it explores more dickens impact on christmas and how we even celebrate today many people do yeah. it's one of my goals is to have the guy who wrote that book on as oh, a guest fun. sometime down the road. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see what I can, whose arm I can twist. <laughs> what are some of the projects you're working on right now? And okay. well, what do you got I'll coming up? Right. Then. So the, um, as I said, I write three or four books a year. So I'm writing four cozy series right now. Um, the next book that comes out in May is the eighth lighthouse library series, which is written under my pen name of Eva Gates. And the eighth book is called deadly ever after. So this book is set in a li- library in a lighthouse in the outer banks of North Carolina. Um, I also write the tea by the sea series for Kensington. Um, which is set in a traditional afternoon tea room on Cape Cod. And there's one book so far called Tea and Treachery. The second will be out in July and it's called Murder in a Teacup. And then I also write the Sherlock Holmes bookshop series, um, which is about a character who owns the Sherlock Holmes bookshop and emporium, which is also located on Cape Cod. And the latest in that came out in January and it's called A Curious Incident. How did COVID this last year that probably threw a lot of wrenches into your plans wrenches that threw in were my you know, my traveling plans like I actually had a fairly heavy schedule this year of going to mystery conferences and and things like that mm-hmm. um and of course none of that happened um that's the big thing um because generally speaking you know this is kind of how I live my life as I always say you know I have a little property in the country and I you know I'll sit here and I write most days and I don't go out a lot. Uh, it's been a year, it's starting to get, even for me, it's starting to get a little little stressful. I, I find myself getting anxious now, ready for it all to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's winter time here and on, I live in Ontario, it's winter time, you know, it's been cold, it's been this and that, not really able to get out much. Um, but certainly I don't think it's, at the beginning, I think affected my productivity. I, I do think I found myself unable to concentrate terribly well on my writing. Um, but you know, now 
yeah, so, you know, overall, I don't think it's affected by productivity overall that much. It did a little bit at the beginning. Um, I'm just looking forward to getting back on the road and hopefully going to some conferences and seeing my writer friends and my reader friends again. That's the big thing, right? Yeah. 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 yeah it's, you know, it's difficult to promote a book online because you're kind of speaking to the converted. Whereas when you go to bookstores and conferences, it's all about hopefully about trying to meet new people and, and you know, new, get, introduce new re readers to your books and that. Whereas when you're doing it online, kind of the same old people that follow you all the time. So something like this is just great. Hopefully mm -hmm. there's some new people out there that I can meet. Um, you know, I'm trying to do a few th things online, but it's definitely not the same. We're lucky that we have actually all this online contact. I mean, that's how I heard about you. I, I heard about, I heard you interviewed on a podcast uh, last year, I think it was. And um, mm -hmm. now my uh, to be read list is so long. Thanks to all these book podcasts I listen to. I, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> but that I mean, podcasts have been a lifesaver for me this past year. I tell you what. <laughs> Good problem to have. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So now if you need me, I'll be reading uh, the rest of the year. <laughs> you know, and then like I can talk to my grandson who's two. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk to him usually once a week, sometimes twice a week, you know, and, and so that I can keep that contact up. Even though I haven't seen him, he lives on the other side of the country. So I haven't seen him for a year, um, right. you know, but and at two years old, a long time, but Mm -hmm. we, we have that contact and that's been great. Uh, I guess a couple other questions about your writing in general. Why do you write under a pen name? My first, my first cozy novel um, was a work for hire from Penguin. Mm -hmm. um, and for those of your listeners who don't know what that means, that means that the publisher came up with the idea for the series or the concept, and then they went out and looked for a person to write it. Uh, so that was my first cozy contract, was my first contract with Penguin. Um, and because it's a work for hire, the publisher owns the copyright for the series. And this is not at all unusual. Um, mm -hmm. The best example of work for hire is Carolyn Keene writes the Nancy Drew books oh, and Frank sure. W. And the uh, Hardy Boys, you know, that there was a whole bunch of people that wrote those things under always under the one name. Um, so that's why, because they own the copyright to the series, that means they also own the copyright to the author's name. So I did not use my own for obvious reasons. But that's the only work for hire that I've had. In fact, I now have um, the copyright of that. I now own it myself, um, so it moved to a different publisher. Whereupon I could have started printing it or producing them under my new, my own name, but that would just have been too complicated. So we continued sure. with the uh, with the pen name. So that's there's lots of reasons why writers have pen names, but that's fine. Yeah, I, I just thought, well, you, you're writing three or four a year. Maybe people get tired of seeing your name. <laughs> you need hope to, not. <laughs> I hope not either. Yeah, <laughs> but I've got to have some diversity here. Yeah. <laughs> But no, that's, that's, that's interesting. You're, you're writing three or four books a year. How, how good are you at keeping that straight? Or, or is it sometimes somebody, the wrong character shows up in your book? And you're like, wait um, a minute. I'm actually, um, I, I have to keep them straight. They're all cozies, meaning they're all similar sort of in style, but they're still mm -hmm. very different. And particularly the character, the voice of the character and the personality of the main character are very different between each book. And I have to keep those straight. So I don't, I don't, mix writing them i write one book from the beginning to the end hmm, before okay. i start another one now i might you know i'll get edits back from from the publisher on one series while i'm working on the second one so i have to stop something else and and so i have do have to shake it up mix it up a little bit but i don't ever 
start another book until the one I'm actually writing is fully finished. And that way I can keep the character, the setting, the atmosphere straight in my head. Yeah. Sounds like it takes discipline too. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I know some writers kind of make it up as they go and others like to plot and, and outline and everything. And I guess, which one are, where do you fall on that? Do you kind of make it up as you go or? No, I don't make it up as I go. I do. Um, I do write a plot or an outline, but what I generally do is I start the book right from, you know, empty head sort of page one, chapter one um, with a rough, very, very, very rough idea. And, um, and I'll write, you know, good number of pages, maybe three or four chapters, maybe as far as up to the actual murder, and then I'll stop. And then I start doing my outline. I do it that way because I like to spontaneously get the characters, the guests, shall we say, the guest stars or the characters um, popping up on the page and decide, you know, what's the personality of the dead guy and the, who's going to be the, you know, the red herring and who's going to be the murderer and all that. And then I stop and then I do an outline um, of how I want it to go because I find that really, that really works for me. And once I have an outline, the outline to me is the hard part. It's the really hard part. So once I've done that, then I have all the hardest stuff out of the way and I can carry on. I just want to, again, thank you for coming on and talking about your, your books. And I'm going to look forward to catching up on, uh, thank on, you. on your work. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, definitely. So uh, again, uh, she has Vicki Delaney. Uh, where, I always forget to ask this. Where, where can folks find you online? My website is just VickiDelaney.com, and that is spelled V-I-C-K-I-D-E-L-A-N-Y.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook as um, Vicki Delaney and Eva Gates, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, and most places like that, so you can find me pretty much anywhere. And drop me a line if they'd like. My email address is Vicki at VickiDelaney.com. And I, I can testify that she does answer your back. So <laughs> uh, go ahead and drop a line if you want to ask her more questions or find out, you know, what, what your favorite oh, yeah. color is or whatever. <laughs> Please do. I do. I do have a newsletter. So I send my oh, okay. newsletter out, not very often, uh, quarterly. So four times a year, if people want to send me an email and get on the list. They're more than happy to do so. I'm more than happy rather to do so for them. All right. Well, thank you again, Vicki, for uh, coming on and talking about your books. I want to uh, wish you a Merry Christmas in March. <laughs> so. Merry Christmas to you too. Let me read some more about her from her website at vickidelaney.com and I'll have that link in the show notes. But it says there, and it says there, Vicki Delaney began her writing career as a Sunday writer. A single mother of three high-spirited daughters with a full-time job as a computer programmer, Sunday afternoon was, and at that only now and again, the only time she had to spend all by herself, with a single candle on her desk for a bit of atmosphere, a Bruce Springsteen tape in the tape deck, and a nice cup of tea at her elbow. When she felt like really letting loose, the tea might have turned into a glass of wine. The years passed, as they tend to do, and the three daughters, somewhat hesitantly, flew the coop, leaving Vicky more time to devote to her writing. She was able to write three novels of suspense set in Ontario, two of which, Scare the Light Away and Burden of Memory, were published to critical acclaim by Poison Pen Press of Scottsdale, Arizona, 
In 2007, Vicky took early retirement from her job as a systems analyst with a major bank and sold her house in Oakville, Ontario. At that time, In the Shadow of the Glacier, the first book in a police procedural series set in the British Columbia interior, was published. After traveling around North America for a year with her dog, Shenzi, she bought a home in bucolic, rural Prince Edward County, Ontario, where she rarely wears a watch and can write whenever she feels like it. Since settling in Prince Edward County, Vicki has continued with her writing career, publishing books in several different subgenres, as well as books for adults with low literacy skills. I admire that about her, that she's using her talent not just to write great stories and, you know, and to have a career, but that she's also engaged in helping adults with literacy. She has also worked hard to promote women authors and women mystery writers, and I think she has just done some great work in that field as well. I want to encourage you to get her books and check them out, and I know you'll enjoy them, and they are perfect for that mystery lover on your Christmas list or a Christmas lover on your Christmas list, or, you know, if you're just a bookaholic like me and want to read every single book ever written before you die, they'd make a great present for that book lover in your life. So thank you again, Vicki, and I hope you have a good year ahead with, uh, with the selling of your books. For our story time today, we're going to continue reading from The Life of Our Lord by Charles Dickens. So I'll be reading from chapters 9 through part of chapter 11, and this will cover Jesus's crucifixion and death. And Dickens does not get into it too graphically, so I wouldn't worry about if that's a concern for you, because again, he was writing to children. What, Of course, what has happened in this story, the parts that we that I haven't read, is basically telling the the gospel accounts. And we're going to pick up the story during the week of his crucifixion and around the time of his arrest. And so my purpose here, it's not to preach to you or nag you to go to church or things like that. I just want to explore the different parts of Christmas that I enjoy. For, For me, Jesus and Easter are very important parts, even of my Christmas celebration, knowing that when Jesus was born, that this is what he came to do. And that's why I want to bring up the story and read from the story over these next couple of weeks. Basically, I'm trying to find some meaningful ways to celebrate Easter like I do with Christmas. And so let's continue on with the story, The Life of Our Lord by Charles Dickens. Chapter the Ninth The feast of the Passover being now almost come, Jesus said to two of his disciples, Peter and John, Go into the city of Jerusalem, and you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him home and say to him, The master says, Where is the guest chamber where he can eat the Passover with his disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There, make ready the supper. The two disciples found that it happened as Jesus had said, and having met the man with the pitcher of water, and having followed him home, and having been shown the room, they prepared the supper, and Jesus and the other ten apostles came at the usual time, and they all sat down to partake of it together. It is always called the Last Supper, because this was the last time 
that our Savior ate and drank with his disciples. And he took bread from the table and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And he took the cup of wine and blessed it and drank it and gave it to them, saying, Do this in remembrance of me. And when they had finished supper and had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. There Jesus told them that he would be seized that night and that they would all leave him alone and would think only of their own safety. Peter said earnestly, he never would, for one. Before the cock crows, returned our Savior, you will deny me thrice. But Peter answered, No, Lord, though I should die with thee, I would never deny thee. And all the other disciples said the same. Jesus then led the way over a brook called Cedron into a garden that was called Gethsemane and walked with three of his disciples into a retired part of the garden. Then he left them as he had left the others together, saying, Wait here and watch, and went away and prayed by himself, while they, being weary, fell asleep. And Christ suffered great sorrow and distress of mind in his prayers in that garden, because of the wickedness of the men of Jerusalem who were going to kill him. And he shed tears before God and was in deep and strong affliction. When his prayers were finished and he was comforted, he returned to the disciples and said, Rise, let us be going. He is close at hand who will betray me. Now Judas knew that garden well, for our Savior had often walked there with his disciples. And almost at the moment when our Savior said these words, he came there, accompanied by a strong guard of men and officers, which had been sent by the chief priests and Pharisees. It being dark, they carried lanterns and torches. They were armed with swords and staves too, for they did not know but that the people would rise and defend Jesus Christ. And this had made them afraid to seize him boldly in the day when he sat teaching the people. As the leaders of this guard had never seen Jesus Christ and did not know him from the apostles, Judas had said to them, The man whom I kiss will be he. As he advanced to give this wicked kiss, Jesus said to the soldiers, Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. Then, said our Savior, I am he. Let my disciples here go freely, I am he. Which Judas confirmed by saying, Hail, Master, and kissing him. Whereupon Jesus said, Judas, thou betrayest me with a kiss. The guard then ran forward to seize him. No one offered to protect him except Peter, who, having a sword, drew it and cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant, who was one of them, and whose name was Malchus. But Jesus made him sheathe his sword and gave himself up. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled, and there remained not one, not one, to bear him company. Chapter the Tenth After a short time, Peter and another disciple took heart and secretly followed the guard to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, whither Jesus was taken, and where the scribes and others were assembled to question him. Peter stood at the door, but the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went in, and presently returning, asked the woman who kept the door to admit Peter too. She, looking at him, said, Are you not one of the disciples? He said, I am not. So she let him in, and he stood before a fire that was there, warming himself, 
among the servants and officers who were crowded round it, for it was very cold. Some of these men asked him the same question as the woman had done and said, Are you not one of the disciples? He again denied it and said, I am not. One of them, who was related to that man whose ear Peter had cut off with his sword, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it with an oath and said, I do not know the man. Immediately the cock crew, and Jesus, turning around, looked steadfastly at Peter. Then Peter remembered what he had said, that before the cock crew he would deny him thrice, and went out and wept bitterly. Among other questions that were put to Jesus, the high priest asked him what he had taught the people, to which he answered that he had taught them in the open day and in the open streets, and that the priests should ask the people what they had learned of him. One of the officers struck Jesus with his hand for this reply, and two false witnesses coming in said they had heard him say that he could destroy the temple of God and build it again in three days. Jesus answered little, but the scribes and priests agreed that he was guilty of blasphemy and should be put to death, and they spat upon him and beat him. When Judas Iscariot saw that his master was indeed condemned, he was so full of horror for what he had done that he took the thirty pieces of silver back to the chief priests and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. I cannot keep it. With these words, he threw the money down upon the floor and, rushing away, wild with despair, hanged himself. The rope, being weak, broke with the weight of his body, and it fell down on the ground after death, all bruised and burst, a dreadful sight to see. The chief priests, not knowing what else to do with the thirty pieces of silver, bought a burying place for strangers with it, the proper name of which was the potter's field, but the people called it the field of blood ever afterwards. Jesus was taken from the high priests to the judgment hall where Pontius Pilate, the governor, sat to administer justice. Pilate, who was not a Jew, said to him, Your own nation, the Jews, and your own priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Finding that he had done no harm, Pilate went out and told the Jews so. But they said, He has been teaching the people what is not true and what is wrong, and he began to do so long ago in Galilee. As Herod had the right to punish people who offended against the law in Galilee, Pilate said, I find no wrong in him. Let him be taken before Herod. They carried him accordingly before Herod, where he sat surrounded by his stern soldiers and men in armor. And these laughed at Jesus and dressed him in mockery in a fine robe and sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate called the priests and people together again and said, I find no wrong in this man, neither does Herod. He has done nothing to deserve death. But they cried out, He has, he has, yes, yes, let him be killed. Pilate was troubled in his mind to hear them so clamorous against Jesus Christ. His wife, too, had dreamed all night about it and sent to him upon the judgment seat, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. As it was the custom of the feast of the Passover to give some prisoner his liberty, Pilate endeavored to persuade the people to ask for the release of Jesus. But they said, being very ignorant and passionate, and being told to do so by the priests, No, no, we will not have him released. Release Barabbas and let this man be crucified. 
Barabbas was a wicked criminal, in jail for his crimes and in danger of being put to death. Pilate, finding the people so determined against Jesus, delivered him to the soldiers to be scourged, that is, beaten. They plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and dressed him in a purple robe and spat upon him and struck him with their hands and said, Hail, King of the Jews! Remembering that the crowd had called him the son of David when he entered into Jerusalem. And they ill-used him in many cruel ways, but Jesus bore it patiently and only said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Once more, Pilate brought him out before the people, dressed in the purple robe and crown of thorns, and said, Behold the man! They cried out savagely, Crucify him! Crucify him! So did the chief priests and officers. Take him and crucify him yourselves, said Pilate. I find no fault in him. They cried out, He called himself the Son of God, and that by the Jewish law is death. And he called himself King of the Jews, and that is against the Roman law, for we have no king but Caesar, who is the Roman emperor. If you let him go, you are not Caesar's friend. Crucify him! Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he could not prevail with them, however hard he tried, he called for water and, washing his hands before the crowd, said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and they, shouting and gathering round him, entreating him, who still prayed for them to God, with cruelty and insult, took him away. Chapter the 11th That you may know what the people meant when they said, Crucify him! I must tell you that in those times, which were very cruel times indeed, let us thank God and Jesus Christ that they are past. It was the custom to kill people who were sentenced to death by nailing them alive on a great wooden cross, planted upright in the ground, and leaving them there, exposed to the sun and wind, and day and night, until they died of pain and thirst. It was the custom, too, to make them walk to the place of execution, carrying the cross piece of wood to which their hands were to be afterwards nailed, that their shame and suffering might be the greater. Bearing his cross upon his shoulder, like the commonest and most wicked criminal, our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, surrounded by the persecuting crowd, went out of Jerusalem to a place called, in the Hebrew language, Golgotha, that is, the place of a skull. And being come to a hill called Mount Calvary, they hammered cruel nails through his hands and feet and nailed him on the cross between two other crosses, on each of which a common thief was nailed in agony. Over his head they fastened this writing, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, in three languages, in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. Meantime, a guard of four soldiers, sitting on the ground, divided his clothes, which they had taken off, into four parcels for themselves, and cast lots for his coat, and sat there gambling and talking while he suffered. They offered him vinegar to drink, and mixed with gall, and wine mixed with myrrh, but he took none. And the wicked people who passed that way mocked him and said, If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests also mocked him and said, 
He came to save sinners. Let him save himself. One of the thieves, too, railed at him in his torture and said, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other thief, who was penitent, said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus answered, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. None was there to take pity on him, but one disciple and four women. God blessed those women for their true and tender hearts. They were the mother of Jesus, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, who had twice dried his feet upon her hair. The disciple was he whom Jesus loved, John, who had leaned upon his breast and asked him which was the betrayer. When Jesus saw them standing at the foot of the cross, he said to his mother that John would be her son to comfort her when he was dead. And from that hour, John was as a son to her and loved her. At about the sixth hour, a deep and terrible darkness came over all the land and lasted until the ninth hour, when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The soldiers, hearing him, dipped a sponge in some vinegar that was standing there and fastening it to a long reed, put it up to his mouth. When he had received it, he said, It is finished, and crying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, died. Then there was a dreadful earthquake, and the great wall of the temple cracked, and the rocks were rent asunder. The guards, terrified at these sights, said to each other, Surely this was the Son of God. And the people who had been watching the cross from a distance, among whom were many women, smote upon their breasts and went fearfully and sadly home. And that is, again, from The Life of Our Lord by Charles Dickens, from chapters 9 through part of chapter 11. Now, I like to read cozy stories uh, on this podcast, and that one... Well, let's be honest, it wasn't too cozy. The good news is that there's more to that story, and we'll read that next time. I know it can seem to be a bit controversial to talk about Jesus these days. I suppose it depends how you do it. And if I can, you know, just have a moment of seriousness here, I believe there has been many a cruel thing done in the name of Jesus. And I've had a lot of time to think this past year, this past couple of years. My faith is important to me. And you know, Dickens said about Jesus that everybody ought to know about him. No one ever lived who was so good, so kind, so gentle, and so sorry for all people who did wrong or were in any way ill or miserable. You know, and Dickens points out the compassion of Jesus and the love that Jesus had for others and not just their spiritual well-being, but also their physical well-being. And I, I don't know, my, I guess my point is, is that if we are going to name the name of Jesus, we need to act like him. Jesus truly was someone who was very kind and very loving and empathized with those who were suffering. And he came to those who were poor and he came to those who needed help. Now, I know there are a lot of folks who don't have faith in God or in the church. And they have good reason, because let's be honest, sometimes 
we've really messed things up and have, like I said, done things in Jesus' name that have brought shame upon the name of Christ. I guess what the story of Jesus teaches me is to live better and to do better. And hopefully that's a message that everyone can agree on, no matter what your faith is. But I want to encourage you to do good. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe acts of kindness can change the world. Even just one person's world. You might show kindness to a person and that act of kindness might have such a profound impact on them that their life changes. So as I've said before, I'll say it again, be kind. I try to stay away from the political stuff and the current events stuff that's going on, but there's one thing our world needs right now, it's kindness. And I hope that that's a message you can believe in, whether you believe in God or not, whether you share in my beliefs or not, I think there's opportunity for us to be to be kind and to show that, that joy that we have at Christmas, that joy that maybe some have at, at Easter, to, to carry that with us throughout the year. As a Christmas carol says, that I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it the whole year. I think that's one way we can do it. So. That's the lesson I'm learning from the story of the life of our Lord. Our world needs kindness right now. It needs healing. I guess I just want to say, let's have that begin with us. Well, that will wrap up today's episode. I will likely have a special Easter episode coming out, and that one might be a few days late. In the next episode, also, I'll be reading the rest of the story of the life of our Lord by Charles Dickens. I'd hope to have a lot of this all done before Easter, but like I said, it just hasn't been happening. So keep an eye on the podcast feed and you'll see some special Easter-themed episodes coming up here. Remember to send me a memory or tradition to CozyChristmasPodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to help support the show financially, Go to ko-fi.com backslash cozy Christmas and you can buy me a coffee. Or you can check out my Etsy shop and the links are in the show notes. I want to thank Vicki for the wonderful interview. Her books would make a great present to your book lover or mystery lover, friends or family this Christmas. Check them out and her website is in the show notes. Until next time, regardless of what you get in return, be kind to each other and share your stories. And remember, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very Merry Christmas.